Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Beam, 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 beam. Laughter is a way to heal from it. I wouldn't want you to get splintered. Such a raging guy. A rainforest dildo. My cat is going to eat my smoker's Oh my god, so many feelings. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, our guest is Major. In my mind, if Bust Magazine were a person, she might be today's guest because she's fierce, she's funny, she's feminist, she's been traveling the world telling the truth about women's lives for over 25 years. And that's what Bust has been doing too. So I feel like she's a, a human incarnation of Bust Magazine. Margaret Cho wow. does it all, people. <laughs> wow. She is a stand up comic, an actor, an author, a singer songwriter, a podcaster, a designer, an artist, an all around inspiration to outsiders everywhere. Uh, Rolling Stone Magazine named her one of the 50 best stand up comics of all time. Literally since human creation began. <laughs> and she's been a friend of Bust since way back in 2000 when she graced the cover of our travel issue. Uh, we are so thrilled to have her here with us today. Welcome, Margaret Cho. Thank you. What a great introduction. That's really nice. Thank you. I need to mention that Margaret is not alone. She has brought the tiniest, cutest <gasps> puppy with her. Would yes. you like to introduce her? Um, her name is Lucia Katerina Lawler Stowe Cho, and she is a um, seven-month-old uh, Chihuahua mix rescue dog from Los Angeles, um, and she, yes, she's about seven months old, and uh, she, yeah, she's, she's really great. We kind of go everywhere now, and she's a really awesome dog, and she's a feminist. <gasps> Are you a feminist? Uh. And... Uh, <laughs> she really has a lot to say. So from what I understand, you've, you are traveling, doing stand-up. Yes. Dates all over the place. Yes. And yes. you just launched a new podcast. Yes. I know that you have podcasted before, mm -hmm. but this is a whole new venture, The Margaret Show. Yes. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's really fun. And, and I'm getting to interview my friends. And, and um, you know, it's kind of social, too. So, so we're all busy so it's a nice time to get to hang out with people that I enjoy and really love but never get to see because they're all doing stuff and so I think it's fun I just listened to the first episode with Jonathan Van Ness mm -hmm. and um I didn't realize what an amazing interviewer you are I feel oh, like I'm nice. so Thank used you. to seeing you on the other side being the celebrity <laughs> being interviewed but you're a very warm empathetic interviewer oh that's and nice I loved um you guys were talking a little bit about imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and I felt very heard and seen by that yeah it's a weird one that thing about how it's such a thing everybody seems to have everybody in in this sort of and, and I guess it's all sorts of industries but in, you know anybody they we all have that sense of like feeling like we're not supposed to be there or something mm -hmm. I don't know why do you think it's women more or is that yeah, definitely women more I mean women more um gay men a lot you know I think that maybe it's because um 
we're not necessarily socialized to be uh, really confident, really believing in ourselves, really like behind the idea that we're geniuses. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Because most of the geniuses that I know happen to be women and gay men. And so I don't, I don't really get that. But that we're not entitled to things that we come up with and things that we do in our creative lives. It's a very strange thing. I don't, I don't know, but it's a very real thing. What are the topics du jour that you are covering in your stand-up? Like, what, is, what are your passions these oh, days? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's just, it, it's so, uh, so much stuff, you know. It, it's so much, well, you know, so much about Trump and so much daily. Now this whole idea, like, go back to where you came from. Like, oh I can't oh even, I mean, that has been said to me so many times. In, and I'm from here. You know, I'm from San Francisco. That idea of if you express dissatisfaction as a person of color, especially a woman of color, that their response is, well, go back to where you came from. There's, there's, there's a foreignness attached to, to us. And then um, that somehow expressing dissatisfaction is actually somehow unpatriotic. Mm. When their whole thing is like, make America great again, that is a, an express like, dissatisfaction with the state of things. Yeah. yeah. And so how is it that they are entitled themselves to dissatisfaction and we are somehow not and we're not worthy of that because we're not uh, entitled to be from here when we are from here. It's a, it, all of that, it gets worse every day. Like, it's not enough to just tweet that, of course, for him. He's got to double down mm-hmm. and then he's got to go to this rally where also people are chanting, go back to where you came from, like, send her back, send her back. It's appalling yes and all this time you know all of this stuff is actually clouding the fact that he is really good friends with a serial predator i know who is responsible for so much so much so many violations it's appalling who's been able to buy his way out of rape of children for decades decades. yeah so you know there's a lot to (laughs) It sounds like a laugh riot. It's so funny. (laughs) Do you find that uh, stand-up comedy is your form of activism in these troubled times? Well, it's the only way to somehow make sense of it and to somehow um, find a sense of peace around it. Like the only way you can get get away from it really is finding a way to mock it, to laugh about it, and to... To realize that it is actually really funny. If you can have a little distance from it, which is hard for me. I get so mad. I'm so mad all the time. But really, it's just, it's absurd. And um, that absurdity is, I think, the only way that we can find distance and peace from it. So I think laughter is a way to heal from it um, and a way to uh, find some way to get ourselves out of it it's the only contribution that i i have to the stone soup <laughs> but it's a it's a pretty major contribution at this point you know you're so. you are a a cultural personage with a major platform yeah and yeah. i feel like there's when you speak up people listen and yeah. so it's really helpful that's good thank you i think it's i think it is helpful and i think that um you know, that in comedy, um, comedy has been so weird in the past few years, I think, because of um, Me Too and, and, and which is, I think, really important. You know, I think that we've made great strides and now we're welcoming so many women's voices where that wasn't a, a thing before. Like, 
before, you know, whenever we talked about rape and comedy, it was in a way to silence rape and comedy or silence the subject of rape and comedy. So mm-hmm. it's such as somebody like um, Tosh when he's talking about, oh, yeah. let's gang rape this woman in the crowd. And then there was this huge like thing of like sentiment out there like we can't talk about rape and comedy. And so I was trying to do jokes about my rape and my sexual abuse. And it was met with a lot of like nervous laughter a lot of like you could hear like everybody's asshole to clench <laughs> when i would like start to talk about it and i'm talking about it from a survivor's point of view mm-hmm. and so people got really uh, upset and scared and then this whole me too thing happened and then that made it a lot easier to get into the subject yes. and to get into it in a way that was really meaningful not that i'm like it's not about making fun of rape exactly but it's about finding peace in a situation that so many people have been in um, and didn't know how to talk about and didn't know how to approach. And, and, uh, and, and you know, in our industry too, it's like when we're, um, uh, you know, some men, prominent men in comedy are the worst offenders like Louis C.K. or, or Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not just those guys. It's like also like I when I remember when I was talking about rape in comedy, like I would do these like clubs where there's all it's all famous dudes doing comedy and they would have like one or two women on the show. And I, I, I would do a set and talk about the stuff. And the, there was a really famous comedian who went up after me who was so angry that I had poisoned the crowd. I'm like doing air quotes, poisoned the crowd by talking about rape oh, God. and yelling about how is that even comedy? And then I'm like, how is it comedy for you to be yelling about what I said? Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't funny and he was just mad because it was this very hard thing for him to accept. For some reason, I think that they were like, comics were really feeling, um, male comics were feeling the... Uh, that that sort of thing of like their time is ending like mm-hmm. that their uh reign on whatever that is is ending when somebody like louis ck could be taken down mm-hmm. right. you know because if you look at him he's like the top of his industry i mean nobody's ever achieved what he's achieved in comedy really if you think about it but also a sexual predator and the dumb shit about that the dumbest thing is that if he had even just put the tiniest effort into asking somebody if they wanted to watch him jerk off, he would have had so many offers. People would have been so like falling all over themselves. I remember Sarah Silverman saying that like years ago, (laughs) like that was part of their history that he would ask her. And sometimes she would say yes. And sometimes she would say no. But apparently as his clout in the industry grew, then there was this major power imbalance that made women feel like they really couldn't say no. Or that he, he, I mean, it's like, I think like if you're in that position of power, then it's up to you to make the people come and ask you if if you would jerk off in front of them. I think that's the only way. <laughs> I think yeah, that's, the that's the only the magic. way to, to make it right is if you just don't say anything and you're waiting for somebody to beg you. Like words out. If we go talk to Louie, he'll let us sit there. Yeah, I heard he likes this thing. Yeah. Yeah, like let me, because I mean, in Hollywood is such a, it's such a strange world because when people have this perceived power, they have, they are like emperors, you know, it's, it's like be way beyond like political office. It's like, you're getting into like royal territory, you know, the way that people fall all over themselves. Um, when, when people are doing well in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So if somebody like him, it, you, it, 
he could have had any any you know any of that. He should have been conscious of the fact that that uh, it would have been an abuse of power f- to even ask. But that I think is sort of was his thing is that he wasn't asking and was that was like his control. Yeah, I would like to ask you about. I'm going to say the technical word is a kerfuffle that uh-huh. happened on this very <laughs> podcast mm-hmm. in the winter. Mm-hmm. Here is what had happened. Yes. Janine Garofalo is our very special guest. Mm -hmm. As you may or may not know, she's very close friends with Louis C.K. Yeah. And the issue we, the the questions started generally about the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. about like the atmosphere for women backstage at comedy clubs. And her point of view was um, Louis has suffered enough. People need to leave him alone. People need to think of his daughters. Why? And we That's were thinking <laughs> and saying to her that like we were having mostly at the time we were having problems with the fact that he was just sort of popping up unannounced at gigs and like the audience didn't have a chance and to the consent irony of that yeah. was right like, over oh, his head. I know. like it's one thing if he's like all right well I'm doing this gig anyway pay to see me if you want to yeah but he was popping up places unannounced and people just didn't have a choice yeah. whether or not to consume up what to he, his old tricks again. <laughs> <laughs> what he was selling. I mean, it's like, the thing about it is that um, comics are going to do comedy. They can't really stop. It has nothing to do with, like, financial compensation or, like, even celebrity. It's a compulsion. It's a compulsion. Like, comedy is, like, something that they're just going to do. And then um, comedians kind of are going to let them. And also, because of his... Fame. I don't think that his his fame as or that sort of like moniker of genius necessarily goes away, especially in this very male dominated world of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're gonna they're not going to sort of stand by and uh, stand by their principles about women and protecting people. They're just not because comedy is not, com- you know, it's not sort of built that way. You know, so he's going to do sets. It's like Bill Cosby was still selling out sets right after he went to jail. Absolutely. But what's great is that with Bill Cosby, there was a lot of protesters, Mm -hmm. you know, and even like um, with R. Kelly there, he was doing concerts, but there was a lot of protesters. And that I think that, you know, that whole mute R. Kelly movement really led to something great, you Mm -hmm. know, and and um, and it's also with Bill Cosby. So it's like I think that it's just it's just going you know, it's it's they're going to continue to seek those audiences and and um, they're going to keep letting them do it, unfortunately. And, you know, it's just it sort of goes along with the things that he did. He wasn't asking consent of anyone. So they're not going to ask consent about performance. Mm-hmm. How do you change that? Maybe it's more like the way that we talk about it, you know, and just pointing that out. I don't think he suffered at all. Like, he's fine. He's yeah. got plenty of money. Now he doesn't have to work, and you know, unless he really wants to go do a set somewhere and, you know, have this whole thing blow up, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's fucking fine. Like, what was the last bit that he did that was also rude as fuck? Oh, he was, like, making fun of trans people. I think he's just constant. He just has yeah. no self-awareness. Well, what he should do is run for president. <laughs> yeah, apparently that that's right the best way to get elected. I mean, really, the, basically what he's doing is he's, he's getting out there for 2020, getting ready. The toxic masculinity of the world is so insane. I mean, it's it is it, it's almost like is this really happening? Is this like a joke? Is this like I didn't know that the country was this way to this extent. I didn't know, but now well, now it's revealed. I want to ask you about 
there seems to be a watershed moment going on with Asian Americans yeah. storming the entertainment industry. It's great. And every new project that comes up, I feel like your name keeps being invoked yes. somehow around it. It's good. First, there was... Um, fresh off the boat I remember you were sort of uh -huh. consulting on that and then with Crazy Rich Asians and the farewell mm -hmm. because Aquafina looks up to you so much and She's is very vocal about it um, but there at the so there's a lot of very reverential talk about you at mm -hmm. the same time people are like yeah all American girl was Margaret Cho's show and she had it and it bombed and nobody ever did anything Asian again yes and it took well they didn't do it again for 25 years right, right. Which and suck which sucks the fact that sort of cultural historians are laying that at your feet I find mm -hmm. shitty well it sort of <laughs> but it sort of doesn't really matter because it's kind of like well they were trying to make a show a sort of about a much um sort of like more of an infantilized version of me than I actually was. Like I was really emancipated from my family, but they wanted to do a family show. Oh, yeah. So it was like, okay, well, if I go back in that situation, like what does that look like? Um, and if you look at the successful shows at the time, it was really about kind of that first foray into adulthood, like Friends. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that was really what should have sort of been happening. But this, I was sort of tied to this ethnic identity of like, trying to balance the uh, new generation with the old generation. And that was um, that sort of primal conflict that w the show was about. I think that the show was successful in a lot of ways. And I think that it was very funny in a lot of ways. And I think what is the legacy is that a lot of people um, got to see themselves for the first time on television. That's yeah. really Im amazing. A lot of people saw it like as this thing of like, oh, my God, we exist. And that's great. You know, and that's enough. Um, I don't think I'm responsible for them not having Asians on TV for 25 years. No, no, <laughs> no, yeah, no. neither do I. I. People should really look to their own racism and the racism of saddling an Asian American with that fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also kind of like the, 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 the truth of it is, is that, that they only tried one time. Yeah. You know, and why should the uh, value of all Asian Americans rest on one person. That's kind of crazy. Rest <laughs> on one person in 1994, right. especially when, you know, to read your accounts of that time, people were telling you that you were too Asian. People were telling you that you were not Asian enough. Yeah. People were pressuring you to diet till you had kidney failure. Yeah. Oh. So crazy. I mean, it's like you're, you're kind of going through all of these different things that that was women in the 90s, that conflicting view of like, we have to be riot girls and we have to be feminists and we have to be like revolutionary, but still be really thin, way thinner than we could even possibly be like way thinner than we have to be now or anytime, you know, like that sort of. Yeah, the 90s was like way time. So crazy. Like, don't wash your hair. Don't eat anything. Um, be Winona Ryder as much as humanly possible. Yeah, like we're like really, really um, matte red lipstick, which is also very drying and abusive <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> um, and then you have like this thing of like these unrealistic views of beauty, yet this demand of you having to be a political figure and also like as, as ferocious as the feminists of the day, who I also admired as well. You know, um, like Courtney Love would say, just don't eat cheese. And <laughs> I actually, I'm good friends with Courtney Love. I, I, it's funny like to reconcile my image with her now with what I believe 
her to be back then. You know, back then I kind of believed her to be sort of everything. Yeah. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, and I was like, how is she doing that? And how is she able to accomplish all this? And just and not eating cheese. And that's just it. not eating cheese. But, you know, all of her suffering. And there was so many things about her that were so amazing. And yet um, also, even before trolls existed, that she would get trolled right. like yes. like nobody else. And so, you know, it was she was like this pretty messianic figure, like she's basically crucified every day, um, yet somehow rose every day. Well, I would like to talk about something that you modeled for me that I appreciated mm-hmm. that was something that I think in a lot of ways paved the way for this special watershed moment of Asian Americans that we're having Mm -hmm. now was when you had an email discussion with Tilda Swinton that (laughs) became a a topic for the world to discuss that. Oh yes. uh, So 2016, basically Marvel was making Dr. Strange. They cast Tilda Swinton as the Tibetan Asian one. Mm -hmm. And um, not everybody was psyched about that casting choice. There's like been whitewashing going on in Hollywood forever mm-hmm. and people were tired of it. But also I feel like whitewashing wasn't the topic then that it has become now. Right. And part of the reason that it has become much more of a consideration for these big budget Hollywood things is because you uh, were vocal about the fact that Tilda Swinton reached out to you and was like, why is everybody mad at me? Yeah. Well, I think she was really, I think what, what was happening is that she was trying to uh, get me to say it was all right. Yes. That it was okay that she portrayed this Asian character. She wanted you to basically sign off on it. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, the, this was like very, it was very, I felt very conflicted because I really, I didn't think it was right. But I also, I like her. Like, I think she's cool. Like, and she's... Like, she's from space. She's from space. And she's, like, super weird. And she makes really interesting choices in movies. And, and she's basically allowed to do really amazing things. But, I, I mean, you know, it's like... After, like, the altercation I had with her, I didn't want to see any of her movies. <laughs> it's fair. Which sucks, because I really think she's great. So, it was it was rough. And then, and it was weird, because I was talking about it on um, Bobby Lee's podcast who's a good friend of mine and we were um we were just pissed because like it, it was this thing of like this you know they don't even understand like how hard it is to be an asian american actor you know before crazy rich asians before any of this stuff happened like you know we, we just were fighting over like anything we could get and really really an impossible situation and and so when um there is whitewashing like that it's really offensive and um so i think when social media sort of caught up to the world and we were able to express that kind of disgust around it, then I think it really changed the conversation. But uh, yeah, with Tilda Swinton, it was, it was weird because I was like, why are you pressing me to say something that I don't believe? And then I'm trying to like let her know that it was like not okay with me. And then, um, then I'm talking about it on Bobby Lee's podcast. She was really mad. And then her representatives demanded... I don't know what, like, I don't know what that you would demand, like a retraction or demanded some sort of, I don't know what it is. And then it's weird. Then she sort of released the conversation, which is, I mean, it's fine, you know, but it's, it's something that I think is very strange of like, why were you trying to like seek some kind of justification for it? I think the right attitude is, um, you know, maybe uh, like Emma Stone, Yelling, I'm sorry for Aloha, or, yeah. <laughs> or is that called Aloha Hawaii? I, I mean, 
it's it's mostly that people are understanding now that this has been racist that that you know Asians Asian Americans have been invisibly invisible in um Hollywood for for you know since its inception and so now we need to see more of them which is happening you know and we have our stars which is great we have our aquafinas and ken jong and the whole um kevin kwan franchise which is great mm -hmm. you know and i think that um so things are getting better but it's also a lot of asian americans now are all of the artists are kind of like we got to make sure that we got to get our shows up there and running and make them be big hits before um white people change their mind because <laughs> mm. we're just like oh no this is a very short you know like very narrow the scarcity mindset that window of opportunity it's going to shut as soon as we you know sooner than we think like it's not like things are really really going to change and i think that um it's got to be something of both but we're trying we're trying to figure it out but it's very it's 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 very weird i just feel like conversations about whitewashing of specifically asian roles in hollywood like wasn't the topic that it is today until mm -hmm. that came out. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I think that, um, you know, now we will see less, much less whitewashing of all sorts. Um, and and that's really good because mm -hmm. we can we have the power to shame people in a way that we never did before, which is really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Thank you, Internet. It's like yeah. so fun. Aside from having like all of the Asian entertainment industry placed on your shoulders since the <laughs> 90s. Yeah. You're also someone that our, our young interns refer to as biconic. Oh, that's Which nice. means I love an it. iconic bisexual. Ooh. Um, and you're one of the first sort of like big name celebrities that I remember um, seeing who like was so out about queerness and fluidity mm -hmm. and i like this sometimes and i like that sometimes yeah. and that's cool and i was like oh wow that's a thing you could do that who knew yeah it is <laughs> it is a total thing it's and, great and um since you uh helped to open those doors in the cultural conversation like the whole discussion around gender and sexuality has exploded yeah. like we are now in the world of gender fluidity and sex fluidity of sexual identification and i'm wondering if bisexual is still the way that you identify how you feel in this new generation where everything goes oh um yeah i definitely consider myself bisexual although it is limiting because then you're saying that there is uh only two genders yeah which i don't believe Mm -hmm. um, I think that gender is infinite. It's it's really um, there are so many expressions of gender that you could not nail it down to two genders. So bisexual uh, is not correct because of um, that. But um, it's the sort of uh, one I guess identity that could use a little help in the LGBTQIA mm -hmm. <laughs> community because that B is just tucked in there. Yeah, nobody wants. To because there's something there's the duality of like you know there's kind of with bisexuality there's a kind of thing of like well you can just conveniently slip back into mainstream oh, that you can society pass. or that you can pass or that you uh, are somehow being dishonest like sometimes the gay people like when they first come out they don't come out as gay they come out as bisexual mm -hmm. and then later on they amend that say well actually i was afraid to be all the way out or something so Bisexuality is constantly under a kind of threat of like either not being real or, you know, being clinically sort of 
technically wrong or but I still identify I mean I think um, it's very true um, I think that it's like something that people have a lot of curiosity about you know like oh well if you're in a relationship with a man don't you think that that what does that mean like are you you know and I, I'm like well I don't know what that means I mean it's means that I'm in a relationship right now <laughs> yeah. um, but does does that mean you're like always halfway out the door because you are bisexual and I don't think that's true I think it's like people don't really understand bisexuality as being you know just what it is it's like I'm attracted to men and women and and every everybody in between you know depending on whatever they identify as whatever their pronouns are however they are but it's like it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be polyamorous which I've also been in um, my life that's sort of come to an end I think polyamory really um, you get too old for it I'm real I age out because I'm just too, too tired I <laughs> it can't. does seem like a lot of work it's honestly. a lot of planning a lot of coffee you make so many hard things um, into things that can be spoken out loud Like you are a comedian. Mm -hmm. People can say like Margaret Cho is a comedian. But the substance of your work covers childhood sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and rape and um, uh, fat shaming and Mm -hmm. ethnicity shaming and drug recovery and alcohol Mm -hmm. recovery and heartbreak and despair and loneliness and all the things that we feel self-conscious about Mm. like anything that I could possibly imagine that would be maybe would make me self-conscious to talk about you have talked about openly for decades oh well thank you yes that's I mean because it's like you know I think like well comedy is a way of kind of making sense of life and also maybe a sense of sort of therapy in a way although um in a, in a sense, like, you know, it's almost like you have to have gotten past something to be able to talk about it in a way that is meaningful and funny, too. So um, it's good to share that. It's good to share that kind of coping mechanism with an audience because then it makes it all sort of worth it. At the same time, because you are so forthcoming, mm-hmm. I feel like almost like a tingling desire to disclose every trauma I've ever experienced to you. That's good. Well, and I can only imagine that that um, is the reality of your life. Like, yeah, it's good. Is your life a life of disclosure from strangers and how do you navigate it? I think it's nice. And I think it's really, it's great to be able to open up to people, open up to artists that you like and that you feel like understand you in a way because you've heard what they, they, um, say and I think that's I think that's really wonderful I think it's really meaningful and it's really amazing to be able to hear from people all over the world about that kind of stuff you know and I think it's it's a real honor is it ever like that relationship that you have with your father sounds so difficult I have to use the bathroom like no (laughs) no because I mean people I think they also know that it's like I'm not a therapist I'm not you know like I, I I'm not really you know, in that way of kind of like, I'm not a healer, but I can be um, certainly, you know, a friend and certainly a sympathetic ear. So people never mm. really, they, nobody takes advantage of that, you know, and I, I never feel like, oh, that this is somehow the cost of being so um, forthcoming about mm-hmm. pain. Has anybody ever tried to shame you for things that you've said? Um, I don't know, probably. I can't imagine how that would <laughs> go down. I'm sure. I mean, the thing about it is like the meaning of, comedy is taking all of that and trying to use it 
like you know it's like a, I guess it's like like being a Jedi you like, yeah. <laughs> you, against them. you have done so many projects in which you are the marquee name you are like the very top of the credits everybody's job depends on you mm. there have been a few times in entertainment in which you have played a supporting role mm -hmm. and three of them I am uh, specifically obsessed with uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I need you to tell me every single thing okay. about these three projects okay. so those three projects are Golden Palace oh yeah the seek the spinoff from Golden Girls yes I don't know if I'm the only person who watched it probably but it was Literally That's the awesome. best. Yeah. B. Arthur Very left true. the show and was yeah. replaced with Don Cheadle playing B. Arthur. And, isn't that so weird? And Don, it was Don Cheadle and Cheech Marin. Yeah, Cheech Marin. In and the um, the, it was the I think the showrunner was Mark Cherry who went on to uh, Desperate Housewives. Was that your that first yeah. gig? Uh, it was one of the first. I think my very, very first uh, gig was Totally Hidden Video, which was a candid <laughs> oh camera style God, show. Oh, my God, I remember that. Yes, and I was a maid, and I was letting people into a um, trailer along with a lot of barnyard animals oh and um, chickens. And then so somebody would come and see about what, you know, wanting to purchase the trailer. And then this sort of big, like, sort of, like, Marx Brothers scene would sounds like emerge. wackiness it was ensued. incredibly incredibly wacky um so that was my first gig and then probably my second was golden palace i need to know about estelle getty i need to know about rue mcclanahan um, they were so nice they they were so nice to me um they were much younger than you <laughs> would have realized um, yeah, they were like supposed to be like 55 or something. yeah but they were they they were actually pretty young like um I remember Betty White, uh, she looked like Madonna. Like she had on these like, these like very slim flare black pants and they all had huge bottles of, um, they were like emptied out uh, like crystal geyser, like water bottles, uh -huh. but they were filled with like water and lemons. Oh. They all had these giant, like it was almost a contest of who could have more lemon water. <laughs> and the they, most lemony of waters. They, they were all like lemoniest water. And um, I had to sing on the episode, which was really stressful, but I had to sing acapella and um, I couldn't get the note right. So Rue would stand behind me and she would hum the note in my ear because she was pitch perfect. Was so she? She, uh, she would hum it in my ear so that I would have it and then I could sing. And um, it was incredibly generous of her to do that. She was really warm and generous. Everybody was so nice. They were such nice ladies. And, and um, it was really amazing to do that show. And, and, you know, of course, they were all coming off of the huge success of Golden Girls. And, uh, uh. you know, the fact that B wasn't there was weird. It was almost like they were a little bit maybe... Um, I don't know that they, 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 they didn't it didn't feel as cohesive because she wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But be, like people call it like I don't know they're like the ill fated Golden Palace or whatever. But I legitimately like that show. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was it was great. You know, and, and I think that those women are just so, so incredibly talented. Them forever. Yeah. And you know so that amazing. There's a Rue McClanahan themed restaurant uptown called Rue LaRue. Oh, Ooh. my God. And it's like got all of her memorabilia and stuff like her that's friend incredible. opened it. Incredible. Yeah. I love that. I think that's I, that was we got to go over there. Yeah. You know, let's I think go. That's a, that's a great idea. I mean, I think that I mean, people have such a huge appreciation for the Golden Girls and, and it's 
it's not a joke. Like no. it's not, it's <laughs> real. Like it's deep and it's real. I feel like what happened with like B is that she may have really tired of it after Maud because she had such huge success with Maud. Yeah. yeah. And then going into the Golden Girls again, she may at that time, maybe she would have like had enough. Uh-huh. You know? Or maybe she wanted to do live theater again. I know she did a lot yeah. of that after. So it's sort of like, I don't know exactly, you know, what their relationships were, but people love that show. And I think that, you know, they, those stars, they, they really, they, it's, they just so great for, for women, so great for older women. Um, basically, it was like four gay men. That's what it was. Like, to me, it was like the comedy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like these, they, that, that sort of, they were almost like proxies for men. But it's also very feminist. So, I mean, yeah, they're great. Oh, I, I love that you were in that show. Love it. Uh, last year, I would venture to say that the show that Callie and I were most obsessed with was The Masked Singer. Oh, my God. And you're the poodle. Oh, my, oh my God. God. It was so crazy. That show I was amazing. I was right so about amazing. a lot of them. Oh, good. And not you. Not you. You really? shocked. When the hat came off, oh, I was wow. like, how did I not Oh, my know? God. That's great. The thing about it, which was weird, is they kept us separated. Um, and sometimes, you know, f- there would be, like, a bunch of the masks together. You would be the only one in your costume, but everybody else would be actors. So you wouldn't have that many interactions with other people in their masks. They kind of kept us separated. Oh, my gosh. So, um, so at times you would just see the costume, but you wouldn't see the person. So were you like watching it along with us trying to figure out who it was? Yeah. And they, they definitely kept us all separated. And then also all of the people that you would come to set with also had masks. So it, all of your reps, you know, like whatever your oh. entourage, they had them in in masks as well that the weirdest thing is like you would never you would because usually when you're sort of around hollywood you get to know people's reps also who comes mm-hmm. with who and then you so they were all disguised so you didn't see them and we were all um in different places at different times rehearsing s- sort of the fittings so everybody was really well separated show number three 30 rock you were oh, yeah, kim yeah. jong-il oh yeah and so many people were so testy about you being kim jong-il but i mean fuck them you got an emmy nomination right yeah why were people testy i don't know <laughs> people were saying <laughs> how dare you be a korean how dare yeah oh, like like um, you're being offensive to koreans yeah but i'm korean you know it's weird because but he's offensive to koreans. he's offensive to koreans <laughs> definitely you know, you know what's so crazy though is that like even now like even now kim jong-un's like I don't. I'm not so sure about Trump. Like even <laughs> even North Korea is like giving him the Trump's side a, eye. Trump's a real asshole. Like, I mean, if, if Kim Jong Un saying that Trump, it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do all those things I told Trump I was gonna do. Like, because you don't have any honor. Like that's kind of that's saying a lot. Were you scared to like be? satirizing someone who like murderizes so many people i know we could get totally murderized i just don't let anybody put anything on your face like they oh. got his brother <laughs> i know oh it. my god they, they just got like, him in the airport and they just they just put some, they have like really crazy some kind of like assassination things that you just don't yeah, like, how did do. you even get that they just had two women to put something on his face and he's dead so yeah i'm just not gonna um any anybody that comes up with me with like a, some sort of skincare sample they say no thank you what was it like working on that set it seems like it would be fun well it was interesting because uh, you know those those uh shows all of the celebrities that that time the show was such a everybody was such a big celebrity yeah that um you uh you got to work with a lot of you know that you sort of did your coverage like with tracy morgan you would do all your coverage with um with a stand-in oh so then you know he sort of he would shoot his side or you would shoot, and then you would shoot your side, but with a stand-in. Huh. 
Huh. Um, and then I, 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 but with Tina Fate, she and I are friends, so we did all of our scenes together. But uh, yeah, it, it was less than two minutes of of screen time. So to get an Emmy nomination for less than two minutes is pretty good. Man, <laughs> it's got to be some kind of record. Yeah, I think that's. I was like, oh, that's kind of impressive. Um, I don't need to ask you if you're a feminist. Good. <laughs> you've you've been a feminist OG. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to know how your career and your many decades in comedy has impacted your feminism. How has your feminism evolved as a result? Of the legendary career that you've had. <laughs> I think that I'm like mostly understanding that feminism has many sides and many features and many um, waves. And that each wave has its legacy and its main proponents. And maybe it's um, things that are not as uh, admirable or things that I don't necessarily think are cool. You know, but they exist in the framework of this is that 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 like place their feminism was and now i think like oh well we have a good overview of like where we are as feminists and and now we can look back we have more of a history more of a legacy that oh okay we have these generations that we're getting into and so i i appreciate that i appreciate our diversity and mm -hmm. i appreciate um our conversations and our um now more of a sense of intersectionality which i think is really important and really cool um but yeah it just gets better and better that's what I feel too, that it Same gets better these. and better. Yeah, it gets better and better. So we're like firmly entrenched in fourth wave now. Yes. But I do have a fondness for third wave riot girl. I love a third wave riot girl stripper. Yeah. Like I yeah. love a, a third wave riot girl, uh, sex positive, like mm -hmm. very, I mean, to me, like all that cunt consciousness of the 90s, it's really like, it really stayed with me. Like I'm really, like really into it. Yeah. I think it's really healing and really beautiful. And this is just the best expression. Like I love like Susie Bright and I love, you know, uh, Tristan Termino and like all of that kind of sex positive. Sex positive. Annie so sprinkle it too. I mm -hmm. love Annie Sprinkle. Annie Sprinkle like goes way back too. That's like 70s. Yeah. You know, 70, like, that kind of stuff, I think, is really, it's really magnificent. And now she's an ecosexual. Yeah. Have you caught wind of that? She, like, makes love to the earth. I love that. I mean, and I love that you can be sexual into, um, you know, the, the, like, later years, which I think it doesn't have to go away. You can actually become more, uh, and, and then you become more one with the earth. And, and I love it. I think it's really beautiful. I need like a, I need like a, you know, like a wooden, like a, a rainforest dildo. Like one of the, like, <laughs> yeah. those like, they were, they were the like wooden sex toys that are really like polished. It kind of looks like a boomerang, but they're very, I mean, I love, yeah, eco sex toys. Do you I have a wooden dildo. You it's do? It's just a, a piece of art. It's very ornate. It's like a sculpture of I a, wouldn't want you to get splintered. That's my, this is my serious concern. Because remember I had those unbreakable dildos and I was playing with the castanets and fell down on the roller skates and broke them all. I don't <gasps> trust unbreakables. Unbreakables, well, that yeah, they're going to break. I mean, I like a jade one. I think like a jade egg. That, but that's very, that's very goop. Then it becomes... A jade egg is very goop. Is, I would be afraid of losing it up there. Well, that's also, yeah, that, how do you get it out? Comes with like, um, so there's like a string in it. and Like in a tampon? You kind of like a tampon. It's not well. The one that I have is just like s some stupid pet rock, but it's like not. Uh, it's not a one from Goop. It's just a stupid one from like you know, uh, like just some dumb store. But it's not. It, it's it's like 
It's got like a hole and then it has a string through it. So you pull the whole thing out. Okay. Um, but yeah, I actually think it, it doesn't do all the things that the jade egg is sort of says that this is going to do. But I actually think that it does sort of make your orgasm stronger. And it sort of does keep all of that up there very tight. Anything that's like um, a stone, Yeah, like a Kegel sizer, anything I think is really, really good. So we are going to take the briefest of breaks. And when we come back... I am going to ask Margaret and then Margaret's going to ask Callie and then Callie hopefully will ask me what you watching. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Uh, essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. Do you want to hear awkward sex stories told with no judgment? Hi, guys. Welcome back at Awkward Sex in the City. I do dabble with around the booty and the butthole. Okay. I like the dabble around the booty Dabbling, eating, whatever you want to do. We're all sexual people, so, like, everybody, you know, has their thing. And it was introduced to me years ago, and I was like, oh, shit, this feels good, you know? And then... Do you secretly wish there was a show out there dedicated to studying bro culture? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sweet, A Lady's Guide to Bro Culture. One of my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is that uh, Emily Ratajkowski has a crazy last name, but they still have to pronounce it every time. So it's a lot yes. of bros being like, oh, dude, Emily Ratajkowski, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah. And they, oh, right. And even though the characters know her. What about a podcast for mental health and wellness that's hosted by two roller derby players? Welcome to Frau Pow, where your hosts, Auden Rags. I think it was by psychologists that they talk to people with anxiety and depression and that they tend to watch the same TV shows or movies over and over again. And it's like a self-soothing action. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. And we're back. Hello. We have come to the point of our show called what you watching? And when I say what you watching, we want to know about all the pop culture you're consuming. Books, TV, music, podcasts, music videos, writing on the bathroom wall. If you are consuming it pop culturally, we want to know about it because it is probably cool. Oh, okay. Well, now I'm in like the middle of like a super binge of um, the nearly 300 episodes of uh, My Favorite Murder. Now I just started from the beginning again. Okay. So I'm oh, listening wow. to everything. And because the, they, they just, they sent me their book. 
Yeah. And um, stay sexy. Don't get murdered. Yeah. And the T-shirt and stuff. And so I was like, OK, well, I'm going to be like the completest and I'm going to start from the beginning and listen to everything. So um, I which I love. Um, and then, the, you know, it's fun to go and listen to them and then also do their TV recommendations. So then I got uh, I just watched um, Happy Valley Broad Church. Uh, the fall in a row procedurals all the British procedurals so and now I'm like at, oh and Luther uh-huh which I'd watched before but I love I love um, and uh, so yeah the British procedurals like it's so to me it's really I've exciting. never even heard of any of them they're all on Netflix um, oh and ex- Luther's on Amazon um, and then I just got the new season of Pose so I have to start oh, that so good oh my god it's so many feelings it's so many feelings and it's it, it's really, I mean, I love Billy's an old friend, and so it's just, it's very exciting. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to start. But then I started watching this documentary about, before I started to watch that, I started watching this documentary um, called When Fred Met Rose, which is all about the uh, Fred and Rosemary West, um, their serial murderers from the uh, 90s from England. Oh. Husband and wife uh, murderers. Is that on Netflix too? That is um, on uh, Daily Motion, so it's not really on anything. It's sort of oh. pirated on there, um, but it's also on uh, YouTube in a very like weird small box. With they, they're talking real fast. Yeah, so it's yeah. Not, you're not supposed to watch it that that way. <laughs> but, I've watched uh, things that way for sure. Yeah, I do love a murder um, mystery, and I love any kind of like a true crime um, yes, documentary. Definitely, you know that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it, it gets pretty, like, grim. Like, you go, oh, why do I, you know, like, you get sort of mired in that. But it is, to me, really fascinating. Have you noticed how very obsessed women in particular are with true crime? Yeah. Because we feel like we're always about to get murdered. Well, well that's what yeah. the My Favorite Murder ladies always yeah. said is how they ended up starting. But it's smart because it it's like sense. we are under threat. Women's bodies are constantly under siege. So the more awareness you have about the possibilities of how it could happen makes you just more educated in the world that you're living in. Because we're always going to be in danger. You know, it's like a very good thing to be aware. So I'm I'm really, I think it's really important. Callie, what you been watching? Well, speaking of the true crime... Did you see I Love You Now Die on HBO? No, but I'm looking forward to it. Ooh. It's about uh, Michelle Carter, the girl that convinced her boyfriend to kill himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Text. It's two parts. Uh-huh. And one part is like coming from the defense and the other is from the um, prosecution. The offense, <laughs> the defensive <laughs> and the offensive teams. But it was really interesting. Of course, it's pretty sad. It's mostly just about, you know, two people with mental disorder and how that is it a documentary? Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds great. It was really, really good. That's amazing. I, just, I still can't even decide if someone should go to jail for telling someone to kill themselves if, if that person does it. I watched the whole thing. You can tell people a lot decide, of things. You know, like. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like who. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, you know, they're, they're both in. in they're it, both damaged, I think. In one part, he gets out of the car and says that he's not going to do it anymore. And she tells him to get back in the car and that seems to be that it's, she had an opportunity at that time to mm. look after his safety. And so it's, what is that rule that we go? It's like disregard, blatant disregard. Callous disregard. Yeah. yeah. So like saying go kill yourself versus then strongly encouraging someone in that moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it was fascinating. Yeah. Either way. That's interesting. I just started watching Shit's Creek. It's, it's funny. Netflix. It's <sighs> hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And so um, 
It was made by oh Catherine Catherine O'Hara is just phenomenal. she's a genius. Yeah, she's a Canadian national treasure. She's she incredible, and I love Eugene Levy is so good. And so he created it with his son mm-hmm. Dan Levy, who plays the, so the funny. brother or the older son in it. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a bisexual character, which mm-hmm. you don't really see that. Biconic. Biconic. <laughs> it is. It was hilarious. I binged the, all, everything that's on Netflix. You've watched it all already. On Netflix, yeah. Wow, so good. It was pretty much. I was just. There's a lot of episodes. Yeah, I mean, I've been. I haven't talked about it on the last podcast. I've been going on it until uh-huh. I got to where I am now. Um, Big Little Lies about to be the finale. Uh huh. Oh, I haven't started that yet. I have to start that. I cannot wait. I I'm trying to guess who is going to die because there was like on Vulture they put up like like a list of who's probably going to die on this bridge. Cause they keep showing this bridge on uh-huh. this bridge. <laughs> Ominous. And I feel like I have two guesses. Zoe Kravitz. Don't Ooh. kill Zoe. Solely because I know you can do show two shows at the same time, but I know that she's going to be starring in high fidelity as mm. the lead. That's right. And so either they're going to put her in jail and just bring her back as a guest mm. or they're going to kill her. Mm. This is what I think. Maybe in jail, to see how if if high if fidelity gets back picked and up, <laughs> so I think those crafty writers, and, or it's gonna be Meryl Meryl's character <gasps> because that character is just such a raging cunt. She's just such a fucking someone. Wants, everyone wants to kill her. She's the obvious choice. What a fun thing to play! And mm. I mean, why would Meryl do two seasons of a show? It seems like, I mean, it's Meryl Streep. <laughs> that seems yeah. like you're asking a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is. Wow. So those are my two guesses on who's going to die. Then I watched this this sh- the movie called Dead Set. That was it's from 2008. It's on Netflix now. And it was like a big brother house type situation and they're, you know, excluded from the outside world and a zombie apocalypse goes down. And they don't know about it. They don't know about it because they're in, they're the in reality show seclusion. Oh, yes. Oh and it has that hottie McCots a lot. Um Riz Ahmed, Ahmed. Oh yeah, he's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Oh. oh, we need to get him. Yeah, he's gorgeous. I'm sure he's tried, but we need to get him and he's mm. such a good actor. So it is great if just to watch him being hot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I started this thing called Years and Years on HBO, which is um, like a British family, and each episode goes a year past. And um, Trump fiction gets, or documentary? Fiction. Trump gets uh, reelected. Oh, there's a nuclear, uh, re- like nuclear shit goes down because of that. Mm. Um, and then it, it, every year, it's just like the different ways that the family is. Is changing. It's really interesting. Huh. What have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. 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 There's this show on Netflix called Blown Away. Have either of you guys seen it? No. no. Oh my God. Is it about people that get blown up? No. It's about glass. It's a competition show for glass blowers. Oh, wow. And it is so good. I want to watch it all at once, but I can't because the episodes are like 25 minutes long, but it is so. Um, low-key exciting uh-huh <laughs> i didn't know like i don't know anything about glass blowing and yeah. it is such a suspenseful art form mm-hmm. because the thing that you're making could break at any minute yeah that's scary so they have these 10 like really high highly skilled glass blowers i should have my parents watch this. and um there's 10 different sculptural challenges like one for 
for each episode and they're all vying for of course the prize money is so low for these shows sixty thousand dollars that's it it's like the beginning of drag race kind of money and mm. an artist's residency at corning so like oh, they're corning just, is the shit yeah glass blowers that's and, like the spot and of course the title of the first blown away champion <laughs> and the tools are crazy there's something called a glory hole mm-hmm. that they have to use to temper the glass in mm. or i guess because it gets solid so quickly so to make it malleable again they put it they each have their own glory hole that they stick oh, their that's work funny. in to soften it up again i'm learning all these terms about tools and like different uh, they have all these amazing um bins of like multicolored sand and stuff that gets turned into glass because glass is mostly sand and yeah, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. And they melt that. down the That's sand. That's great. I love it. And like the first they have like a challenge where they had to like take a photograph that was really meaningful and then somehow convey something about that photograph in glass. Mm. And then they had a chef come and they wanted to like convey something about food in glass. Mm. And like it's very conceptual and they only have four hours and like there's all these on like like they'll be at hour like like three and a half hours have passed and then this amazing thing that they make just craps down the middle oh. and you just feel it in your heart and in your soul like there was this one where like everybody gets their own pedestal where they put their work of art it was shards in a pile <laughs> so suspenseful yeah you don't know what the glass is gonna do and uh i love it it's called blown away <laughs> the emotional stakes what was that are- it's on Netflix. Nice. I'm going to have my parents watch that. They're obsessed with glass. Blowing. It's so creative. I love a reality show where there's actual real creative. Yeah, artists that's on amazing. There. Um, the last episode uh, that we put up, I was talking about my love of cats and the uh, last episode. You okay. And every episode <laughs> I talk about my love of cats. And then I got a lovely email from our producer jesse who said that i should listen to a podcast called ologies with ali ward and i listened to it and i loved it um there she so it's a science podcast and it's really funny it's like a very funny science podcast and they get different scientists who are experts in different ologies to come on and talk about that ology and so jesse told me to listen to feline ology i learned so much about cats Ooh. thought i knew everything about yeah. cats but like this this uh cat behaviorist named michael delgado who's a lady michael i like a, a lady oh, michael like Ooh. lady michael yeah <laughs> she talked all about like cats who get toilet trained and neonatal kittens and um why cat which parts of you your cat will eat after you die my cat is and gonna eat my smoker's finger apparently they like to <laughs> go for your eyes and your lips finger. first oh the soft parts the juicy parts she's eating this finger right. i come home i have a cigarette and then she demands with full her full force of a body to get this finger Ooh. maybe she's addicted to the nicotine on her i finger. think so she does wants nothing to do with this hand or camillo she was talking about litter box <laughs> strategies. She was talking about getting your cat on a leash, why they make biscuits, and why some cats like catnip and others don't. She like she talked about so many fascinating cat related subjects. And I was I was gonna wait until 
this episode to tell you about it, Callie, but I couldn't wait. So I came into the bus office and I was like, did you know that when baby kittens are separated from their mom and they're looking for milk, they'll suck on their little brother's wieners because they're looking for a nipple. And sometimes okay. and sometimes okay. they, they suck it till it's broken and they have to remove it. Not oh. OK. Um. So, this, so this lady was like trying to like the scientist was trying to find ways to get tiny little neonatal kittens to not suck their brother's wieners Ooh. off. And so she was like, well, we tried little pants, but they weren't comfortable. And oh. I'm just imagining these tiny little kitten oh pants. Oh, my God. Oh. chastity belt yeah yeah maybe yeah so there it's an issue <laughs> mm-hmm. um so thank you jesse for that that was great and i loved it and the other thing that i watched that i'm obsessed with you know um um britney howard from alabama shakes yes yeah 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 so she's going solo she has her solo album mm-hmm. and she just dropped um a video for the first single off the album it's called stay high and the video is so good it legit made me cry for real not for fake she this song is just about like how to be like like keep it relaxed and happy in life oh, that's and cool. in the video terry cruz um is the one singing the song and Aww. he like starts out in like a factory and then he's like is going home to like his wife and kids and it's just like his slow journey from work to home while he's singing this Britney Howard song. That's great. And it's like Britney Howard keeps like showing up like Hitchcock style. Like she like waves to him when he leaves work and she's like the lady at the checkout counter in the supermarket. And mm-hmm. like she's just kind of in the background while Terry Crews is singing her song. Around. And then it, it's one of those things that's, you know, is more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. You just see this like man living a life of sane and happy usefulness, as they say, mm-hmm. in a way that's so poignant that I cried and I wasn't the only one because in the comments section below, people were like tears emojis. Aww. Aww. It's so good. Brittany Howard's video for Stay High is on YouTube now. Do not sleep on it. It's great. It's the song of the week. Uh, and that, my friends, is what I've been watching. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much to our producers, Kate Moldenauer and Jesse Karen Ooh. at More Banana Productions. Thank you so much to our luscious audio engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. Muy caliente. <laughs> And, of course, to our girl gang at Bust Magazine, you can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You cannot find Callie on the socials. Don't even try. Oh, no. What about you, Margaret? Where can people find you on the socials? I am on um, at Margaret Cho on Twitter. um, And on Instagram, I'm at Margaret underscore Cho. Okay. Because somebody is me on there. How rude. Rude. (laughs) Um, And, yeah. And you can learn more about the show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. Finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Like, I am so overwhelmingly thrilled that Margaret Cho is on this podcast. And I want everybody in the entire world to know what a coup it is that she's here with us and that she did this show. And that can only happen if we get the widespread fame and acclaim that we so richly deserve <laughs> richly <laughs> and so and that will happen if you rate and review us on apple podcast so please do it it really helps us get the word out we super duper appreciate it until next time Mwah.